remain standing and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. If you're um, visiting with us today and maybe only aren't familiar with the Bible, we've printed the text for you on page 9 of your worship guide. Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 24 and reading through verse 27. This is God's Word. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Please be seated. Would you pray with me one more time and ask God's blessing on his word preached? Let's pray. Father, We would ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, your spirit would tend to his word and bring it to life in our hearts. It is a word that comes with power, the word that brought all things into creation, the word that will never return to you void. It does great works. And so it is our prayer today that you would enliven our hearts by it. For we've all come from difficult places this morning, and we need your grace. And so change us. Don't leave us the same as when we came in. May we leave here saying, I've experienced God's power, and I'm different. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, we're at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you're visiting with us today, we're glad that you're here. We've been going through a series, as we regularly do, portions of Scripture. And we're finishing what is perhaps Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Even if you're not a Christian, you're probably familiar with a number of the sayings of Jesus in this sermon. Things like, turn the other cheek. Or do unto others as you would have them do to you. Don't judge lest you be judged. Even if you're not a Christian, these things have made their way into popular culture. And you've probably heard these sayings. And they come from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, and these are his closing comments here um, in this last section, starting with verse 24. And Jesus, being a good preacher, is aware um, of what any preacher uh, dreads, the compliment. That was a great sermon, preacher. And then life is just gone and lived with no change. So Jesus is bringing us to a point of crisis in this. He's, He's bringing a conflict of kingdoms. He's been setting up this series of contrasts in the preceding passages where he's contrasting one way of living with another way of living. One guide, one road, one end, um, one destination, where um, in the previous passage he's even brought up the fact that um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven, but those who obey my words. And that second verse, the second word in this particular passage then connects this passage 
with the preceding one. This is an ongoing discourse of the necessity of living life according to Jesus' word. And what he's doing is he's forcing us to ask questions, but as he often does. I said last week that it's been said Jesus is perhaps the most controversial figure in the history of the world. He never entered a crowd without dividing it. He was never safe and easy to deal with. No matter what crowd he went into, people either left on one side of Jesus or on the other. They were either in love with him or they hated him because he's forcing us to decide constantly. And he's forcing us in this passage with this question. You've sat and listened to my words. Now what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with what I have taught you? And he leaves us, really, as he often does, not just answering, asking questions, but as he often does, leaving us with really only one answer to that. The only right answer is, I'm going to live all of life by it. I'm going to live all of life by your word. He's not interested in just pontificating about ideas, right? Jesus is not, you know, it's not the group of guys who are in a a smoke-filled back room batting around the latest uh, idea or tossing around theology and having it impact none of their life. He has come to change things. And this is why he's so confrontational. To encounter Jesus is to have your life changed by him because he's come to change things. This sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount has come from the Son of God into a sin-cursed world and with the goal of changing lives by it, not just throwing ideas out there for us to consider, but for us to consider how we might change our lives in light of the truths of His Word. He knows what every preacher knows. That the worst compliment that you can give us is, good job, preacher. And to walk out the door and have life unchanged. He's not safe. He's polarizing. He's confronting. He's causing us to consider how we are to live life because this is the theme that we've picked up. Have you noticed it from our call to worship through our confession of sin? The Bible is meant to be lived. When God saves, he saves into a new life. When he called Israel out of Egypt and reminds them in Psalm 81 of what he's done, he then accuses them. I didn't just call you for your own good. I called you to save you from a sin-cursed world that you might live life by my word. The end of God's saving work in Jesus Christ is to create a new people who live in new ways. And so he's forcing us to answer this question. What are you going to do with my word? And leaving us with the only appropriate answer, I'm going to live all of life by it. And so this is what he does. He sets up these two contrasts. If you've got your Bible, he sets up these two contrasts between two men who build two different houses. And then a storm comes. And the storm is vividly described. Rain fell, floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. But only one of the houses is able to withstand the storm. One is completely destroyed. Great is the fall of it, he describes. He's not contrasting here non-believers and believers. He's not contrasting non-Christians and Christians. Right? He's not saying like those who... Like those who hear my word are the really stable ones who built their house on my rock. He's confronting those who are sitting and hearing his word and not doing anything with it. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, there's the contrast, is like the house that's built on a solid foundation. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, both are hearing. The difference between the one who's able to withstand the storm and not experience the great fall and have their house built on a solid foundation is the one who does my word. It's a wisdom contrast. It's an ancient Hebrew method. We've seen this in the preceding weeks. Ancient Hebrews would contrast the way of wisdom with the way of foolishness. And this is exactly what Jesus uh, is doing there. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. He's describing the pathway, the life of wisdom by contrasting it with the way of foolishness. He's actually doing this in the past three passages. He's, he's telling us what the path of human flourishing is. He's teaching us how to run according to God's design. You are made in the image of God. Every man, woman, and child made in the image of God, created by God, who has the best idea of how our lives are supposed to run. If we are going to flourish, we are only going to flourish as we follow his word. If you open up your owner's manual of your car and it says only put gasoline in and you decide that you're out of gasoline and money so you're going to put water in, your car won't flourish. It was designed to run a particular way and that design is recorded in the owner's manual. And so when you design runs according to plan, it flourishes. Human flourishing... Jesus says, depends on wisdom, which is dependent on my word. And foolishness leads to destruction. The wise man built his house on the rock, and the foolish man built his house on sand. And great was the fall of it. Jesus, by bringing the words wisdom and foolishness in, is reminding us, of this ancient thing that the Bible values. It values wisdom above everything else. Riches are great. Wisdom is better. Get wisdom, Proverbs 4. Don't forsake her. She'll keep you. Love her and she'll guard you. Wisdom, Proverbs 24, is like a sweet dripping honey for your soul. It brings joy. You want joy. What's the pathway to joy? Jesus says, the wisdom you gain from God's word is like sweet dripping honey. It will bring refreshment in the form of joy. Proverbs 3, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Right? This is the pathway to the living life in a flourishing, um, God-honoring kind of way. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. But that begs the question. What is wisdom? It's sort of one of those words that we toss around in the church. And if you're kind of uh, visiting with us today, you may have heard uh, wisdom and kind of using our culture too. But what is wisdom? Wisdom, biblical wisdom, wisdom, and this is true even if in a non-Christian way, wisdom is knowing how to live righteously in an ever-changing world, right? It's knowing what to do righteously best flourishing kind of way in an ever-changing world because life is like 
standing on the deck of a ship in a storm. It's always moving, right? Life is always throwing new things at you, things that you weren't prepared for. And so the moment you think that you've got a sense of balance, I've got life figured out, something new comes along and you're like, I just don't know what to do. I mean, how many times, how many times have you said that during the week? I don't know what to do. I, I'm completely baffled. This is too difficult and above my pay grade. I don't know how to handle it. Life requires constant adjustments. And so wisdom is knowing the way of righteousness and the ever-changing circumstances of life. And I think we've lost our pursuit of wisdom and replaced it with trying to find God's will. Now, right? And I, I hear that, and I'm like, sometimes I don't even know what she means. Like, God's will is right here. And I think what we say when I'm trying to find God's will for my life is really what I'm asking is I'm trying to find wisdom to figure out how to apply this word to this world. And I think if I can just find God's will, then I'll have peace. And what I really think I have peace is a sense of confidence that I'm doing the right thing in the ever-changing circumstances of life. God has designed this world not so that we receive visions from heaven or a word in our prayer time to tell us what to do next. He's designed this world and designed us so that as we gain wisdom, we gain the most precious thing that we have. The ability to know what to do in the ever-changing circumstances from life. The Bible has much more to say about wisdom than about finding God's will because the goal the goal is to create people who know God's word and can capably apply it to life. Where God's word, where his unchanging word meets God's ever-changing world, one is growing wise. Wisdoms, knowing how to apply God's word to an ever-changing world in a way that we could flourish as image bearers by doing what God delights in next. And Jesus here in Matthew 7 not only commends the way of wisdom, but he also gives us a map for flourishing through wisdom. And it involves three things. Submitting, doing, and testing. This is the way of wisdom. Submitting. Right, where the world says to us that freedom is necessary for human flourishing, you hear this all the time, like, I just want to be free. And what the world means by that is I want to be free to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. For Jesus, he says, I agree. It is for freedom, Galatians 4 or 5, that Christ has set you free. He's not set you free to be imprisoned even more. He has come in his death on the cross to free a people. It's for freedom that I've set you free. But Jesus is presenting a very different pathway to freedom in this passage. And the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. It's a freedom not from obedience, but unto obedience. His death. This is what he does in his death. He not only takes away the penalty of sin by his blood, but he frees us from the power of sin by his death on the cross. And by his resurrection, he sets us on a pathway of new life, giving us the power of the Holy Spirit so that freedom to be wise and obey God's word is the freedom that we have in the gospel. And so we've got to, first thing to gain wisdom, submit to Jesus' word. 
Here's a rule you can live by. You will become like the one you listen to and obey. Right? We've seen this in the media. These articles are being written all the time about how angry news channels are making angry people. Documentaries upon documentaries are coming out. You, you'll become who you listen to and obey. Facebook's created al- algorithms, right? Their goal is to silo you so you only see what you agree with so that they can incite you because they know that you love to, that we love to, we're people who love to hear what we, what we want to hear so that we will become more like that. And so Jesus makes this vivid, vivid claim that the wise person, the one who is, who's going to flourish in freedom is the person who obeys his word. His word. I mean, I want you to think about this. Like, only, only a crazy person would make this kind of claim. I've been watching this documentary on um, Charles Manson and how uh, the wicked things that he did was, uh, he got people to do is because he required them to obey him. And Jesus on the same thing, obey my words. Like either you must be fully divine or a crazy person to speak here and obey my words and you'll flourish in life. Eagle, ego, maniacal despots can make that claim. Psychotic cult leaders can make that claim. And God can make that claim. And the fruit of that claim is very different. Jesus can make this claim because look at where um, his, his disciples experienced lives of flourishing. He raised the dead. He tended to the sick. He came to the helpless He helped them. He's not one who, when he says, obey my words, is using people to destroy them, but he's using his power to heal the broken. He can make this claim because he's God in the flesh, manifested in the good things that he's done, proving that God has come into this world to right the wrongs done by sin. You can obey one who says this. Don't obey someone who says Lay your life down so that I can live. Obey one who says, I'll lay my life down so that you can live. Give your life to that one. Submit to his authority. For when he speaks, he speaks with the full authority of God. He calls the people to a new obedience, but he empowers his people to a new obedience. This is what God's word does. It calls and empowers. Jesus always empowers what he calls us to But this is also the pattern of the covenant. God brings a people into relationship with him, binds them to himself, saves them from their enemies, and then sets them on a path of new obedience. It was our our Old Testament reading in Exodus 19. Look at what I've done. You were slaves in Egypt. They was crushing you. You had anything but a flourishing life. He brings them out, judges their enemies, sets them on a new path, to the promised land, and then gives them his word. You're my people. Obey me. Look what I've done for you. Follow my ways. If I've not proven that I'm trustworthy. Entrance, one author put put it this way. Entrance into Jesus' kingdom turns on obedience. This is the point he's making. It's point he made earlier. You can't, if you're going to come into my kingdom, you're going to get to the end of time. 
These are the ones who are going to make it in, the ones who obeyed me. He makes the point, entrance into Jesus' kingdom turns on obedience, but not on the kind of obedience that earns merit, but obedience that recognizes and submits to Jesus' lordship in everything. It responds this way, you've given everything so that I can have everything. Now I'm going to follow you with everything. Second thing that Jesus says, it submits to his word, wisdom is gained by doing. I think this is where we get hung up. You cannot just gain wisdom by listening to sound sermons or reading books or sitting in a classroom. It's really what he's pressing. You've been listening to my words this whole time. Now what are you going to do with them? Listening is wisdom is gained by doing The wise man hears and does. The foolish man hears and does not do. That's the difference in their lives. They're both hearing. And so, to submit to his word is going to require that we put his word into action. I'm not submitting to it if I'm not living by it. It's just... It's just come to my ears, and I've, I've thought about it, and I thought, that's a really good thing to say, but I've not lived my life by it, and I've not heard it. And it's a confrontational authority. When he speaks, he doesn't just expect us to hear it, but to put it into life and have it cross our lives, right? I mean, this is where Jesus, so every time he went into the crowd, this is what he's requiring allegiance And this is what he's doing every area of our lives, every day of our lives. This is why we confess and repent and receive forgiveness. Because he's crossed us. You're not following me in this area. You've gotten angry at your kids again. I'm not not condoning that kind of behavior. Love is patient and it's kind. Oh, confront me that I could repent and live righteously, differently. But I've got to do it. He's not come to make people with big ears or big heads. The power of Jesus has come into this world to make people with big heads and big hearts and big hands and feet. So if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to be this constant test of allegiance. Are you going to do what I've asked you to do? Will you live by my word and you can't gain wisdom unless you're willing to go out of here and actually live by his word? His word will mean nothing to you and you won't be able to apply it to the world unless you've gone through the hard work of doing. It's a confrontational reality. I mean, Jesus spends more time kind of forcing us to choose sides and he does really anything else performs a miracle and he asks the question are you going to follow me he raises a woman from the dead don't tell anybody just yet you're going to keep your mouth he he meets the woman at the well and he and he has a redemptive conversation with her she doesn't see his need for him and so he just pulls out her sin just for a second and then shows grace and mercy but she doesn't just leave thinking that she can keep going on living her life she comes in and tells everybody look this guy's come in and he's changed things and i'm going to live my life differently but he's also going to require us and if it's a confrontational word it causes us to do and not just hear that may actually means that the things that we do are going to be vastly different at times from the world around us 
This is, I think, very stark right now in the area of sex and sexuality, right? So Jesus says, you're my temple. If you belong to me, my spirit dwells in you. Where your body is, I am united to it. And so sex is a beautiful gift from God, given for the context of marriage between lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. And that's the pathway to flourishing. Use it any place else. You're not following me. You won't flourish. You can't just hear these things. I need you to obey. But if you're going to obey, you're going to seem weird in our culture. And that's just going to keep growing and growing. I mean, he's constantly pointing these places in our lives. Not just do you believe me, but are you willing to really believe me so that you will live life accordingly? He spends a lot of time talking about that, but you know what he spends most of his time talking about? He spends most of his time talking about something that I think requires just a much deeper level of obedience in our culture, and it's this. What do you do with your money? He speaks about sex and sexuality, but he has a lot more to say about the danger of materialism. And the world says to us, you are what you own. You are how much you have in your earning potential. You are worth as much you have in your bank account. You are worth as much as you can gain in vacations and cars. And Jesus says, it's an upside-down kingdom. Your materialism and my kingdom are in conflict. Who are you going to obey with the desires of your heart that's going to flesh itself out in the way you spend your money? Constant tests of allegiance. He's not an easy guy to follow, right? He's not, I mean, if you're looking for someone to make you feel good and let you go on your way, it's not Jesus. Go find someone else to do that. Jesus wants to see our lives redeemed. And so he's going to confront us and call us to obedience day in and day out. And then we find in him that he calls us to obedience so high, he says, apart from me, you can't do this. So then he comes by spirit and his word and enables the obedience that he calls us to. But you're not going to gain wisdom unless you do. Finally, the storms of life are going to reveal the true foundation of a wise man or woman. Because only at the end will a wise man or woman still be standing. Here's Jesus' promise. Storms will come in life. It's an inevitability. The storms will come in life, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. His promise is not to protect us from the storms, but to protect us in the storms. So the storms of life, the suffering that we face, right? The, the last diagnosis that you've got, the death of a loved one, struggles with your children, struggles with your spouse, the loss of a job, the storms will come and they will batter your life. I love how vivid he is here. The rain fell, the storms came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. I mean, he's very realistic about how difficult life is. And the promise here is that the storms are never wasted. They are always in the hands of Jesus, serve redemptive purposes. They're never a waste. 
And one of the functions of the storms that he's revealing, he doesn't waste suffering, is that the storms are going to reveal. You think, I think, I'm a mature Christian who's willing to obey Jesus in everything. Storms come. Oh, I'm stable as I thought I was. And he reveals in that time, you're much more stable than you thought you were because you're still standing. Because your, your, your life was built not just on the hearing, but the doing of my word. John Calvin, the Genevan pastor of the 16th century, said it this way. True piety, I mean by this is holiness, walk in the Christian life. True piety is not fully distinguished from its counterfeit until the trial comes. For the temptations which are, we are tried are like billows and storms which easily overwhelm the unsteady minds, whose lightness is not perceived until the season of prosperity. It's easy to follow Jesus when it's easy, and he's saying, the storms are going to come. Because all, for all practical purposes, these two houses are very similar. He describes them. Two houses built. At first glance, they seem to be adequate houses. You can do life in these houses. That's the point he's making about houses. This is how you live your life. You can do life in these houses. They're great. But at the level of the unseen and the unnoticed, their foundations are vastly different. And it's not until the house is shaken that the two houses that look exactly different, the same, sorry, are revealed to be different when the hidden part is revealed. And so it is with life. The foundations are the ones revealed by the storms. And the storms always come. The only stable ones are the ones who hear and obey. And here's what he's pressing to you. You can't decide to build the foundation in the storm. You've got to build it now so that when the storm comes, you're able to withstand it. There's a temptation when times are easy just to coast spiritually. I don't need Jesus. I mean, it's where it comes in. I don't need Jesus. No, this is when it hard, when it's easy. Life is easy is when the hard work of walking with Jesus must happen. Now when life is easy, I've got the, I've got the margin to dig deep into his word and to work it on obeying him in a new area of life. Find it. If you're in that easy time, find it right now. What do I want to work on right now to follow Jesus in new and radical ways? Because the storm's going to come and I can't build the foundation then. I've got to build it now. I've got to make day in and day out decisions. And he's not talking about like whether you're going to go to the mission field. Some of you he might be forcing that decision on. But for most of us, for most of us, it's in the little things. Am I going to, I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to buy the next, am I going to buy the next thing or give that amount of money away? Because I really don't need that. I'm going to, it's not whether I'm going to start a nonprofit ministry. It's whether I want to die to myself. This is, this is what we pray every morning as we're taking our kids to school. God, help us to die a little bit more for Jesus today. Not Help me lay down my entire life today. I, I want to get there, but if I'm going to get there today, let me help me die just a little bit more 
you'll do that, that I'm building a foundation so when the storms come, I'll be able to withstand it. Because in the times of obedience, this is what you're doing. Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm entrusting myself to you. I can't do this on my own. I want to take control of my life and go my own way, but I'm going to repent of that and turn away from that. I'm going to give you a little bit more. I'm going to trust you. Your hands are good. I know I'll fail, and your cross is enough. But I know if I'm going to secede, it will only be by your power. So, help me. Because when the storms come, I want to be able to stand. So help me today. Come to my rescue. Don't let me go my own way. I won't flourish there. Let's pray. Father, as we um, have come to your word, it surely has exposed us. It's challenged us. And I would pray for me and my brothers and sisters. Make us doers and not just hearers of your word. Make us people who love the way of obedience. Help us to set our foundation firmly in the rock of Jesus Christ. So that when the storms come, our lives won't be wrecked. But he will be revealed as the true rock on which we can cast our entire lives. Do this, we pray, for the glory of Jesus' name and for his power to be displayed in our world. We ask this in his name. Amen.